0: Welcome back to Your Tech Report.
1: Welcome back to Your Tech Report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marco Flalo. Please follow along with us on all our social media, of course, uh, at Your Tech Report. Of course, Mitchell, YouTube is one of the ones we're trying to get people to. YouTube.com slash Your Tech Report. Lots of fun things there as well. Mitchell, earlier this week, Google made some pretty cool announcements. And rather than us just talk about it ourselves, uh, we're going to talk to Android Central's executive editor, Andrew Martonic. Andrew, welcome back to Your Tech Report. How are you feeling?
2: I'm feeling just fine other than the time change, you know, but I had to be in New York. I had to go to the event, right? Well, you
1: know, I watched the live stream of this event and, you know, every year Google has an event kind of like everybody does. I think it's, uh, I think we're forced to experience this stuff now. It's, it's uh, Everybody's forced into this one year cycle when it comes to phone and products, which is kind of cool. How was it being there? Was it seemed kind of low key and relaxed? It was nice and polished.
2: Yeah, it was very typical Google from that respect. It kind of reminded me of Google I.O., their developer conference, where they were just kind of like, you know, pull up a seat. You know, we're going to hang out, talk about the devices. They, they acknowledged straight from the top that everybody that was following uh, all of the news had seen most of the announcements ahead of time. So I think that kind of took the edge off.
0: You know, I I think there was a lot of excitement building up to this particular event for a lot of people, including a lot of folks like Mark and myself who have been using Apple products for a long time and have become really, especially because of the Pixel line of phones, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, Android curious. And I think, you know, there's so many people that have been looking forward to this new device because let's face it, Andrew, there are a lot of people that think that the the Pixel 2 still had superior specs to a lot of the Apple devices that, that were just released. So people looking forward to this Pixel 3 were they were they disappointed were they excited it pretty much was what they were expecting was it not
2: Yeah I, it was pretty much what we were expecting especially because it, it isn't that much different from the Pixel 2 last generation it really kind of in in that lens that you talked about there it is kind of like an iPhone release it's interesting that the same year that we went from the 10 to the 10s with not you know not a big change uh, Google kind of did the same thing here. It just, it made some improvements on the things that, you know, that the kind of nerds among us complained about, uh, but they didn't change the core principles of it, which kind of feel like an Apple way of doing things. They kind of obscure some of the specs. They don't chase all the big numbers and the software is more focused on uh, simplicity and just having a few unique features rather than all the customized customizations and functionality of maybe a Samsung.
1: I wonder if knowing the industry and kind of watching what other people are doing it takes kind of the edge off of of the pressure of having to release something that's new. But uh, so, so let, let's kind of dive into, you know, obviously let's start with the phone. As you said, hardware wise, not much change. We've got three colors, but um, you know they managed to continue to continue to improve that camera somehow, even though it's you know a single lens.
2: Yeah, it's it's effectively the same camera, but the the story with Google is always you know, no matter where you're doing it whether you're doing a Google search or using Google Home or you know, using a camera on the smartphone, they're all about the software and algorithms and their extra uh, you know, their special chip. They have an image chip called the Pixel Visual Core that does a lot of the processing of things, very similar to what Apple does. I think you see a theme here. Uh, the the camera is all about using the latest um software they developed over the last year to just get more out of what they already have. Now, they did change things on the front-facing cameras, which I think is actually kind of exciting, and people are forgetting about this. Having two cameras up front, a wide-angle and a regular lets them do cool portrait mode effects, lets them take really, really high-quality selfies having two 8-megapixel cameras, and you can get those group shots with your friends. So it's not just about the rear camera, which I think is really, really good despite having one lens, but the front cameras as well. They didn't forget about that part.
0: Not only did I forget about it, Andrew, but I mean, like you said, that seemed to be a lot of the focal point in terms of, you know, not just, as you said, the hardware, but the software as well. But isn't it interesting that we've reached a point where I, I think they have become so confident in that rear camera. As I said, the Pixel 2, people still haven't caught up to. The 3 does that much more. But look at the focus that we're getting on things that involve community, that involve friends. Like you said, selfies, group shots. I thought it was so interesting that there was almost more focus put on those two front facing cameras than the rear, which has been, you know, the gold standard now for a couple of years
2: and all the demonstrations that they show it's all focused on taking pictures of of people of groups Mm -hmm. of parties of you know your dogs and kids running around the house they you know they showed a few of your your typical landscape shots and macro shots of flowers and stuff like that but it, it was really more of like an active thing like go out and do things with your phone and that kind of lends itself to the simplicity of the software they have a new feature called top shot where it's automatically taking photos all the time when you have the camera open and so even if you miss the the perfect shot you know with you know, things going on with lots of people, it will suggest different versions of that shot. And you can scrub back and forth and find the one that looks just right. And the nice thing now is that you don't lose any quality doing that. So when you scrub back uh, or forward in the timeline, you get the same quality photo as when you think you took the photo when you press the button.
0: You know, basically it takes away the need for people to use burst mode anymore because the camera does it for you. I just had this conversation yesterday with an iPhone user saying, you know, and he's an, you know, he's an extreme sports guy. He's like a nationally ranked mountain biker. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I have to use burst mode cuz I'm moving and I I said, "You know, if you just watch the keynote that Google just did, they actually have this as so a really it, it builds in its own more elegant version of burst mode without the user having to worry about initiating it before they take a picture."
2: And Google, you know, they've been doing kind of interesting things with Burst Mode before, but that's extremely important. Nobody really uses Burst Mode unless they know that they needed to do it. Exactly. They found out about it probably from somebody like me or you that's telling people about this. This way, they just think about taking a photo, and then Google can remove that pain point of, oh, man, I missed the shot because, you know, maybe it was a little slow or something like that. No, you didn't. You know, you didn't miss the shot. And now, like, that's (laughs) immediately a positive experience with this phone.
1: One of the things that, you know, without being able to go obviously too, too in-depth because I've had the phone for about a day and you've had the phone for about a day, I, I, you know, first takeaway is it's really fast. Like everything is really, really speedy. And the other thing that I noticed right off the top is that without having a skin like Samsung or LG kind of throw onto it, um, at, at its core, you know, the Android update, the latest update anyway, is, is quite nice
2: i i think android 9 pi is really really nice i mean yeah it's got the the funny name with pi but it's it's extremely quick i'll agree with you there it's i haven't had any issues with performance or anything like that and you know frankly i didn't have issues with performance on the last phone either but the big thing for me is that like you said compared to samsung you set it next to it and there's just nothing in your way here, yeah. especially if you're a big fan of the Google services, of course. You know, I'm, I'm really deeply into Gmail and Hangouts and Google Maps and Chrome, and you know that helps a lot. But even if you're not, uh, th- these apps are so good that it's going to entice you to want to use them. And in many cases, most cases, the Google apps are the best versions uh, you know, in their category anyway. So that's why I really like it. And it just has lots of nice little features. They have this new digi- uh, digital well-being system that, you know, a lot again, similar to what Apple's doing, does lots of things to tell you how you're using your phone, what's going on with it, uh, easier ways to turn off notifications, and you know, kind of quiet down your phone a little bit so it's not bothering you so much. Which, I mean, it's interesting that the phone companies are showing us how to use their phones less, but I think <laughs> we've all kind of recognized that that's something we should be doing. And and Pi on the on the Pixel 3 really does that for you.
0: Okay, now, here we go. We're going to go a little off script here. Nothing crazy, but to your last point uh, about about software and ecosystem here, we have a lot of people, Mark and myself included, who are, you know, people tend to get entrenched in ecosystems, right? People that are Apple users get entrenched in iOS. I know Android folks get entrenched in that, and it makes it very hard for people to make the move. And I've always said, Mark and I talked about this off the air yesterday, if there was one device that could make me make the switch, or at least try it, dip my toes in that water to make that switch, it would be the Pixel... Would be the Pixel line of phone. So for everyone out there that may not may not understand the Android ecosystem, how hard is it really for someone that, let's say, has been using an iPhone and their MacBook and everything in that Apple ecosystem says, you know what, I'm tired of what Apple's doing, I want to make that jump to Android. Logistically, how hard is it really to make that move? Because people get so into and used to what they use, they get afraid to make that change, but this phone makes me want to change. So how hard is it to really make that transition, just from your perspective?
2: Well, yeah, I definitely think that the first step is, like you said, finding uh, a phone on the other side that is enticing enough to make you want to do it, which you know right. maybe not, hasn't been hasn't been part of the equation for most people. But I think it really depends on how you use your iPhone currently. If you're right. really pictures are the biggest Apple, focus for me, yeah. Know, if you're a fan of Apple Mail, if you you know prefer Apple Maps, you're not using Gmail, you know those kinds of things. If you're not already using some Google services, it makes right. the transition way harder because now you're not just migrating phones; you're changing to a new interface and in a different email app. You're switching right. all of your password data over. Uh, but if you are using any of those Google services, which with how many billions of users they have, there's a pretty good uh, number of people that do overlap there. I think it's, it's pretty simple from that perspective because you're just signing into your accounts on the other side and so many of the biggest, most popular apps in terms of your password managers or your podcast app or, you know, all of the big service, you know, the streaming services and, you know, YouTube, et cetera, those are all available on both platforms. So for the most part, it's just transitioning over accounts and then you're learning some of the quirks. Uh, You know, it's not that they're (laughs) worse on Android, but it's there are different ways to do things, you know. Apple has this settings page that has all the settings for all of your apps, where Android has settings in each individual app, and Uh. you get a little more customization options. You can download apps that do lots of different things. I think that if you are going to switch, like the Pixel, you know, before this, the Pixel 2, that's the phone that I recommend when, you know, my family and friends come to me and they say, oh, I'm kind of tired of this iPhone thing. What should I right. do? I don't, recognize, I, you know, I don't recommend that they jump right into a Samsung or LG phone because I think that they're going to be overwhelmed by that. Not yeah. that they're bad phones, but it's just so different. The Pixel actually, it, it's not that much different in terms of, you know, look and feel of it.
1: You know, we're all creatures of a habit, right? So I'm I'm trying to do this now. I'm trying to make that switch to the pixel, um, it, whether it be a long-term thing or whether it be a short-term thing, I think you know, it, being in this in this medium, I have to do it. I have to do it. For the to sake of, <laughs> yeah, you have to do it for the sake of reviewing the device, right? Um, so you know, uh, uh, immediately, my my focus is okay. I've got photos, I've got music. Pretty much everything else I can I can easily just, as you said, log into. I use Exchange, so I don't use Gmail, but there's an Outlook app. So, you know, I look at myself right. in Photos. I'm like, okay, I could switch to Google Photos, but is that the way to go? Is there Lightroom because I use, you know, CC? So, as you said, I think you got to really take a deep look at how you use things and take the time to do the research and figure out if you have things like music and photos and, and important things like that that you are going to migrate. Pick the one that'll serve you best down the road. It's not about just working today on the Android device. It's something that, you know, what are you going to be using in 10 years from now when maybe there's another ecosystem out there? You know, what is that platform that makes most sense to you guys, you know?
2: And I'll I'll encourage people to consider some of those third-party options, whether you're on Android or iOS, because just having that ability to move back and forth because you choose to use a service that works on both it, it just helps you, and it, frankly, there, it might be a better service than what Apple offers or what Google offers directly. You don't have to stick to those those built-in features. The only one that you can't really switch away from, and you guys know this, is uh, iMessage and all these and iMessage FaceTime, yeah. that people with yeah. iPhones have, and, yeah, and FaceTime and FaceTime audio especially. I, th- those are really tough to break away from, and that's where my, my conversion of people over to Android usually ends.
1: Am I am I the only person that, you know, remembers the keynote when FaceTime was first announced and they talked about the fact that FaceTime's going to be this universal platform that Cross everybody's going to be able yeah. to yeah, everybody's going to be able
2: to program with?
1: Am I the only person that remembers I, that?
2: No, we 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 like to we like to rib Apple fans over that every every now and then even though it's so long ago.
1: It would be so nice if they actually did that. Uh, it is your tech report. Uh, I am Mark Flalo. He is Mitchell Whitfield. We are talking to Android Central's executive editor, Andrew Martonic. Andrew, you know what? We're going to take a quick break because there's still so much more to talk about. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about, uh, obviously, the, the, the laptop, the slate, uh, all the home. There's so much more to talk about. So stick around. We'll be back in just one second.
0: There's more your tech report after this. Welcome back to your tech report. Welcome back to your tech report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I
1: am Marco Flalo, and we continue speaking with Android Central's executive editor, Andrew Martonic. Andrew, off the air, you know, you, you tease that you could talk about this stuff for hours. That's because you got your own podcast. You want to talk about it?
2: Yeah, every single week. Nice and original name. It's the Android Central Podcast. It's found everywhere that great podcasts are found in your podcast. <laughs> Even Apple Podcasts, you can even listen to it on your iPhone. if you
1: want. Wow. Oh, that's daring! That's daring!
2: That's <laughs> yeah. crazy! I'm sure people man. make
1: fun of that a lot, don't they?
2: Yeah, the <laughs> ratings aren't great.
1: Uh, so, so other announcements, obviously, other than than the Pixel Three, um, you know, let, let's start with, I guess, the the tablet. You know, uh, uh, initial reviews I'm finding are that it's a bit sluggish, um, but people are kind of reserving their their judgment to see some production models. Your first impressions?
2: Yeah, I we we kind of all you know me and uh, the the people I know that were at the event all kind of talk about these things right after we're like what were you thinking what were you thinking try to kind of gauge it a little bit and that was kind of the feeling. Um, the only thing that I'm holding out judgment on is the performance there because uh, um, unfortunately I don't know why Google does this. They're using uh, Dev Channel Developer Channel software on these demo devices while they're showing them off. I understand that they're new and they have to show off these new features, but. That could potentially introduce some of the sluggishness there. This is not stable software running on them, and I really wish that they would just wait and load stable software on there. Um, so I'm I'm not looking at the performance too much um, because I think that there are other issues with the product. Unfortunately, I think the other main talking point was the price. Uh, I'm sure you guys thought about that as well. With uh, it's six hundred dollars and the keyboard is another two hundred, um, and that's for kind of a basic spec device. Uh, mm-hmm. has low ram low storage not a fast processor so um the the hardware is absolutely gorgeous and they've done an amazing job with uh, you know just the way it feels it's a big tablet it competes directly with things like the surface pro and the uh, ipad pro 12.9 inch they're they're really it's a really big device but google knows how to make this hardware i mean look we look at these phones we look at the last pixel book all that kind of stuff the hardware is amazing uh, but but the price is a little um, uh, it puts me off quite a bit well, see, clearly
0: they've gone more of the Microsoft route for this than they did with the Apple route in terms of creating a tablet that is as much a laptop as it is a tablet, because, of course, you have, you know, Google's OS, you know, divide, devoted toward computers versus tablets. So they could do both, just like Microsoft's can do both. But as you said, that comes at a price, the cost, the keyboard, the extra stuff. It almost makes people wonder. Apple's been taking so much, you know, uh, so many so much criticism over the years for not making their iPad. And everyone would love to see their iPad run some sort Sort of universal desktop software that Apple has yet Mm -hmm. to put out there, but maybe Apple has the right move in terms of keeping it a tablet with its dedicated OS. Because when you start to make it an all-in-one machine, it becomes less tablet and more of an everything, and that increases price, complication, everything else. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I I completely agree with that, and uh, they are more in uh, Google is more in Microsoft's camp that you know Windows Ten is a good. Um, laptop OS of course not a great tablet OS Um, you know the iPad is coming from the other direction Chrome OS is definitely in the Windows 10 camp where look it came up working on laptops and desktops that's what it's made for and this is the first device where they have a uh, kind of a revamped truly like tablet interface Uh, the problem is that once you get past the interface the, the apps don't really work properly you know Anybody that's kind of been in the Android world for the last five, six years knows that Android tablets have been a complete flop. And what they're trying to do is just revamp that with Chrome OS instead and run Android apps on it. And the problem is that the apps still aren't made for this. Uh, this is a 12.3 inch, you know, widescreen landscape display. Uh, the apps just aren't really made for that. And so they're coming into an issue where it's just like Windows 10. It's really hard to get good, you know, tablet sized, touch optimized, you know, performant apps available. So you just fall back to the browser and everything is great and that in the browser and Chrome OS obviously runs the Chrome browser amazingly. Um, but when you're charging this much compared to like an iPad Pro where there are millions and millions of apps that are designed for it, it's really tough to say that, you know, this is a competing tablet. This is definitely more of a competing laptop.
1: Is it a little bit too much too late, you know, it's hard to kind of gauge what the response is going to be, especially as you said, with an entry level price point like that, even, you know, I think back to Chromebooks and I I think to education and schools, the attractiveness of the Chromebooks have always been the really, really low price, you know, you can get in and you can get decent, decent computers, this is, I don't see this entering any schools anytime soon.
2: No, this is this is very much like a um, the the way I kind of thought of it was like it's a very privileged computer in multiple ways. You have to have the money to spend roughly nine hundred a thousand dollars on this thing. And you have to have the privilege to not need Windows apps or Mac apps or a lot of specially made iPad apps. You have to like, you know, be in this weird middle of the Venn diagram where you have the money to spend on this kind of like executive style computer. And you also can do everything that you do, mostly in a browser, with the help of a couple of Android apps. So they're trying to build up this gap, but you, you made the perfect point that Chrome OS is built for cheap devices. Everybody expects that a Chromebook is going to cost $300, and this is kind of a Chromebook-type thing, Yeah, except for you have to spend $200 just to have a keyboard for it, which you <laughs> yeah. know, a lot of people expect to... Get a Chromebook on Amazon on sale, you know, a flash deal for two hundred dollars. Exactly.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the new the new Home Hub and I guess the whole kind of Google Home ecosystem. It's catching up. You know, in I I like to look at it in Canada uh, from that angle because I'm in Montreal. Mitchell's in Los Angeles. Um, You know, we Google Home was one of the first. You know assistance There was out there before even Amazon was available in, in this country. So it's got a leg up in, on this side of the border. Um, your feelings on the new home hub and, and is it bridging a gap that that kind of exists there? Is it going to help boost that yeah. ecosystem
2: a bit? It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, I'm in Seattle here, and uh, I was just at the Amazon event uh, two weeks ago where they unveiled, you know, like 75 products all, in, all at once, which is very interesting. But they have the Amazon Echo Show, which is you know a 10-something-inch uh, kind of home device. The, the Home Hub is I- interesting because it's, it's not the same as Google's partnership devices called Smart Displays. Which they launched earlier this year, um, a bunch of different companies like LG, JBL, uh, Lenovo all announced these yeah. smart displays, which are more like a Google home with a screen. Uh, the home hub has all this uh, specific software that's really focused on uh, controlling smart home devices. It's not so much a Google home with a screen. Um, and b- by that, I think the point uh, that Google is trying to make here is that this is something that people are going to buy instead of a Google Home just because of the pricing and they get the bonus of the screen. It's In the U.S., it's only $149, whereas yeah. a regular Google Home with no screen is $129. Uh, I think that they're kind of positioning this as get as many of these into the home and that'll get people to buy into the smart home things because it's really focused on you know, the home hub, you get a glance of everything in your home going on with your smart lights and door locks and whatever you've got, uh, you know, your baby monitors and all kinds of stuff, your doorbell, whatever. And you get stuck in that ecosystem, just like we were talking about with the phones. I think that Google, it's not too little too late. I think that they're right on top of it here. Amazon's Echo Show was not great last year. Uh, and this one looks a lot better, but they're trying the smart home thing too. That seems like that's the leg in the door.
0: You know it's funny because when I was seeing this, even more more so than the home automation, to me the win here was having a visual interaction with the Google with Google Assistant, and I mean that yeah. Google Assistant still works really well in this, does it not? Because to me that was the main draw. If I have questions mm-hmm. about directions, if I have questions about anything, cooking recipes uh, and know, stuff like an, that, was just, yeah. yeah, you're yeah. right, and that's that's the one thing that excited me more that the Amazon ecosystem does not offer. So as to me, the Google Google Assistant works pretty well in this device as well, does. It?
2: Yeah, the the Google Assistant uh, works just fine. Um, it doesn't give obviously it doesn't give you the really much of the functionality of watching things on it. I think that that's what the other smart displays and the right. Amazon Echo Show are more focused on because right. they have larger displays. One thing that was misleading a tiny bit when you watch the presentation. Uh, was uh, they made it look really large. It's really not. It's, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know what the exact spec is. It's probably seven inches across, something like that. It's, it's a pretty small screen. So it's not designed for like kind of replace the kitchen TV kind of thing. It really more is, yeah, get snippets of information, actually get a visual, you know, feeling for what traffic looks like in the morning or, you know, when you're watching uh, or when you're listening to music, you get album art and, you know, buttons that you can switch and things like that. So it's adding a, a screen functionality there, but it's like I said, it's more of a replacement for an original Google Home than maybe a direct competitor to an Echo Show or something larger.
1: Andrew, I want to ask you one, one last question before we let you go, because we gotta got to wrap it up here. It was um, yeah. a Google Duplex. So a year ago, we saw the introduction of the Duplex, and there was a lot of controversy, obviously, about letting people know they're talking to a computer. But So now they talk about Duplex in a kind of a different light, and they, they show, kind of showcased the the call screening, which was kind of interesting way to use it. Um, your first impressions or your kind of takeaways from that?
2: Uh, it's Very, very cool, uh, where I think a lot of people got freaked out kind of about duplex making outgoing calls <laughs> yes <This just> seems <laughs> which i like love everybody has everybody has this problem of incoming spam calls and it's you know they say that it's roughly half of all calls maybe wow. the u.s at least are spam calls which is crazy yeah. so this all happens locally on the device so it doesn't have to go offline or do anything like that it just it it just does a normal call screening and you may be getting the call that you care about. you may not be in the the call screen. you'll just do dictation right onto your phone. You could be in a meeting or something, see real you time yeah. Just pick up the phone yeah. and and it just does it for you i see I see this being
1: used almost um to people's advantage like if I know my wife, you know I could tell my wife, you know call me up, and you know what when the machine picks up, just just tell me what you would need to tell me, so I'll see it right as it's happening, and that way I could call yeah, you back and- pretty quickly so.
2: Yeah, and you can pick up in the middle of it as well. Yeah. At, at all times, you have the option to pick up or send it directly to spam as so soon cool. as you get an inkling of what's going on. Very cool.
1: Andro, uh, Android Central's executive editor, Andrew Martonic, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to take a quick break. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Mark Flalo. Stick around. More Your
0: Tech Report around the corner. There's more Your Tech Report after this. The Podcast Superfriends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers.